Book 7 Chapter 1 Now my evil, sinful youth was over, and I had come on into young manhood. But the older in years, the baser was my vanity, in that I could not conceive any other kind of substance than what these eyes are accustomed to see. I did not, indeed, O God, think of you under the figure of a human body. From the moment I began to know anything of philosophy, I had rejected that idea, and I rejoiced to find the same rejection in the faith of our spiritual mother, your Catholic Church. But what else to think you, I did not know. As a man, though so poor a man, I set myself to think of you as the supreme and sole and true God, and with all my heart I believed you incorruptible and inviolable and immutable, for, though I did not see whence or how, yet I saw with utter certainty that what can be corrupted is lower than what cannot be corrupted, that the inviolable is beyond question better than the violable, and that what can suffer no change is better than what can be changed. My heart cried out passionately against all my imaginings, and I tried with this one truth to beat away all that circling host of uncleannesses from the eyes of my mind. But they were scarce gone for the space of a single glance. They came again close-packed upon me, pressed upon my gaze, and so clouded it, that though I did not even then think of you under the shape of a human body, yet I could not but think of you as some corporeal substance, occupying all space, whether infused in the world or else diffused through infinite space beyond the world. Yet even at this I thought of you as incorruptible and inviolable and immutable, and I still saw those as better than corruptible and violable and mutable. But whatever I tried to see as not in space seemed to me to be nothing, absolutely nothing, not even a void. For if a body were taken out of its place, and the place remained without any body, whether of earth or water or air or sky, it would still be an empty place, a space occupying nothingness. Thus I was so gross of mind, not seeing even myself clearly, that whatever was not extended in space, either diffused or massed together, or swollen out, or having some such qualities, or at least capable of having them, I thought must be nothing whatsoever. My mind was in search of such images as the forms my eye was accustomed to see, and I did not realize that the mental act by which I formed these images was not itself a bodily image, yet it could not have formed them unless it were something and something great. I conceived of you, life of my life, as mighty everywhere and throughout infinite space, piercing through the whole mass of the world, and spread measureless and limitless every way beyond the world, so that the earth should have you, and the sky should have you, and all things should have you, and that they should be bounded in you, but you nowhere bounded. For as the body of the air which is above the earth does not hinder the sun's light from passing through it, and that light penetrates it, yet does not break it or cut it, but fills it wholly, so I thought that the body not only of the sky and air and sea, but of the earth also was penetrable by you, and easily to be pierced in all its parts, great and small, for the receiving of your presence, while your secret inspiration governed inwardly and outwardly all the things you had created. This I held because I could think of nothing else. But it was false. For if it were so, a greater part of the earth would have contained a greater part of you, and a lesser, a lesser. And all things should be filled with you in such a way that the body of an elephant should contain more of you than the body of a sparrow, simply because it is larger and takes up so much more room. And so you would make your parts present in the parts of the world piece by piece, little pieces in the little pieces, great masses in the great masses. That, of course, is not the truth of it. But you had not as yet enlightened my darkness. Chapter 2 but against the Manichees who deceived others because they were deceived themselves, and whose speech was dumbness because your word did not sound from them, that argument was sufficient which, long before, as far back as our Carthage days, had been proposed by Nebridius. I remember that, when we heard it, we were all powerfully struck by it. What would that imaginary brood of darkness, which the Manichees were wont to set up as an opposing substance, have done against you if you had refused to fight with it? For if the answer was that it would have done you some damage, that would have been to make you violable and subject to corruption. 
But if the answer was that it could in no way have armed you, then they would show no reason for your fighting with it. But it was precisely the result of your fighting that some part or member of you, some offspring of your substance, was mingled with those contrary powers, those natures not created by you, and was so far corrupted by them and changed for the worse as to be turned from beatitude into misery, and to need assistance to deliver it and make it clean. This was the human soul. It was enslaved, contaminated, and corrupted, and to its aid came your word in its freedom and purity and integrity. But that word was itself corruptible, because it was from one and the same substance as the soul. Thus if they affirmed you, whatever you are, that is, your substance by which you are, to be incorruptible, all these ideas of theirs must be false and execrable. But if they affirm you corruptible, that would on the face of it be false and to be abominated. Therefore this argument of Nebridius was sufficient against these men, and I should utterly have vomited them up from my overcharged breast, because they had no way of escape without horrible sacrilege of heart and tongue from what they held and said of you. Chapter 3 But though I said and firmly held that the Lord God was incorruptible and unalterable and in no way changeable, the true God who made not only our souls but our bodies also, and not only our souls and bodies but all things whatsoever, as yet I did not see, clear and unraveled, what was the cause of evil. Whatever the cause might be, I saw that no explanation would do which would force me to believe the immutable God mutable, for if I did that, I should have been the very thing I was trying to find, namely a cause of evil. From now it was with no anxiety that I sought it, for I was sure that what the Manichees said was not true. With all my heart I rejected them, because I saw that, while they inquired as to the source of evil, they were full of evil themselves, in that they preferred rather to hold that your substance suffered evil than that their own substance committed it. So I set myself to examine an idea I had heard, namely that our free will is the cause of our doing evil, and your just judgment the cause of our suffering evil. I could not clearly discern this. I endeavored to draw the eye of my mind from the pit, but I was again plunged into it, and as often as I tried, so often was I plunged back. But it raised me a little towards your light that I now was as much aware that I had a will as that I had a life. And when I willed to do or not do anything, I was quite certain that it was myself and no other who willed, and I came to see that the cause of my sin lay there. But what I did unwillingly, it still seemed to me that I rather suffered than did, and I judged it to be not my fault but my punishment, though as I held you most just, I was quite ready to admit that I was being justly punished. But I asked further, Who made me? Was it not my God, who is not only good, but goodness itself? What root reason is there for my willing evil and failing to will good, which would make it just for me to be punished? Who was it that set and engrafted in me this root of bitterness, since I was wholly made by my most loving God? If the devil is the author, where does the devil come from? And if by his own perverse will he was turned from a good angel into a devil, what was the origin in him of the perverse will by which he became a devil, since by the all-good creator he was made holy angel? By such thoughts I was cast down again and almost stifled, yet I was not brought down so far as the hell of that error where no man confesses unto you, the error which holds rather that you suffer evil than that man does it. Chapter 4 I now tried to discover other truths, as I had already come to realize that incorruptible is better than corruptible, so that you must be incorruptible, whatever might be your nature. For no soul has ever been able to conceive, or ever will be able to conceive, anything better than you, the supreme and perfect good. Therefore, since the incorruptible is unquestionably to be held greater than the corruptible, and I so held it, I could now draw the conclusion that, unless you were incorruptible, there was something better than my God. But seeing the superiority of the incorruptible, I should have looked for you in that truth, and have learned from it where evil is, that is, learn the origin of the corruption by which your substance cannot be violated. For there is no way in which corruption can affect our God, whether by his will or by necessity or by accident, for he is God, and what he wills is good, and himself is goodness, whereas to be corrupted is not good. 
nor are you against your will constrained to anything, for your will is not greater than your power. It would be greater only if you were greater than yourself, for God's will and God's power are alike God himself. And what unlooked-for accident can befall you, since you know all things? No nature exists save because you know it. Why indeed should I multiply reasons to show that the substance which is God is not corruptible, since if it were, it would not be God? Chapter 5 I sought for the origin of evil, but I sought in an evil manner, and failed to see the evil that there was in my manner of inquiry. I ranged before the eyes of my mind the whole creation, both what we are able to see, earth and sea and air and stars and trees and mortal creatures, and what we cannot see, like the firmament of the heaven above and all its angels and spiritual powers, though even these I imagined as if they were bodies disposed each in its own place. And I made one great mass of God's creation, distinguished according to the kinds of bodies in it, whether they were really bodies or only such bodies as I imagined spirits to be. I made it huge, not as huge as it is, which I had no means of knowing, but as huge as might be necessary, though in every direction finite. And I saw you, Lord, in every part containing and penetrating it, yourself altogether infinite, as if your being were a sea, infinite and immeasurable everywhere, though still only a sea, and within it there were some mighty but not infinite sponge, and that sponge filled in every part with the immeasurable sea. Thus I conceived your creation as finite and filled utterly by yourself, and you were infinite. And I said, Here is God, and here is what God has created, and God is good, mightily and incomparably better than all these, but of his goodness he created them good, and see how he contains and fills them. Where then is evil, and what is its source, and how has it crept into the creation? What is its root, what is its seed? Can it be that it is wholly without being? But why should we fear and be on guard against what is not? Or if our fear of it is groundless, then our very fear is itself an evil thing. For by it the heart is driven and tormented for no cause, and that evil is all the worse, if there is nothing to fear, yet we do fear. Thus either there is evil which we fear, or the fact that we fear is evil. Whence then is evil, since God who is good made all things good? It was the greater and supreme good who made these lesser goods, but creator and creation are alike good. Whence then comes evil? Was there perhaps some evil matter of which he made this creation, matter which he formed and ordered, while yet leaving in it some element which he did not convert into good? But why? Could he who was omnipotent be unable to change matter wholly so that no evil might remain in it? Indeed, why did he choose to make anything of it, and not rather, by the same omnipotence, cause it wholly not to be? Could it possibly have existed against his will? And if it had so existed from eternity, why did he allow it so long to continue through the infinite spaces of time past, and then, after so long a while, choose to make something of it? If he did suddenly decide to act, surely the omnipotent should rather have caused it to cease to be, that he himself, the true and supreme and infinite good, alone should be. Or, since it was not good that he who was good should frame and create something not good, could he not have taken away and reduced to nothing that matter which was evil, and provided good matter of which to create all things? For he would not be omnipotent if he could not create something good without the aid of matter which he had not created. Such thoughts I revolved in my unhappy heart, which was further burdened and gnawed at by the fear that I should die without having found the truth. But at least the faith of your Christ, our Lord and Savior, taught by the Catholic Church, stood firm in my heart, though on many points I was still uncertain and swerving from the norm of doctrine. Yet my mind did not forsake it, but drank of it more deeply with every day that passed. Chapter 6 By now I had rejected the ridiculous prophesyings and blasphemous follies of the astrologers. Let your own mercies, O my God, confess to you from the very depths of my soul. For who else recalls us from the death that all error is, except the life which cannot die, and the wisdom which illumines the minds that need it, and needs no illumination from any other, by which the world is governed, even to the wind-blown leaves of the trees? 
It was you then who provided the cure for the obstinacy with which I argued with Vindicianus, an old man of great mental acuteness, and with Nebridius, a young man of very fine soul. Vindicianus maintained with great vehemence, Nebridius not quite so vehemently, but repeatedly, that there was no art for foreseeing the future, but that human guesses sometimes chanced to fall out right. Those who said a great deal would often say things that did in fact come to pass, although those who said them did not really know, but merely happened to say them in the course of saying so many things. Then by your provision came a man to help me in this matter, one who was a fairly frequent consulter of the astrologers. He was not himself skilled in the art, but, as I have said, he followed it up with some curiosity. One thing he did know, which he said that he had heard from his father, but he did not realize how utterly destructive it was to any belief in their art. This man, Firminus by name, an educated man and trained in rhetoric, consulted me as one very dear to him concerning certain affairs of his own in which he placed very considerable worldly hopes, wishing to know how I thought his constellations, as the astrologers call them, stood in the matter. I had now begun to turn towards Nebridius's opinion, yet for all my own uncertainty I did not absolutely refuse to read the stars and tell him what I saw, but I added that I was practically persuaded that the whole business was an empty folly. Thereupon he told me that his father had been deeply interested in the books of the astrologers and had had a friend as keen as himself in studying them. They studied and conferred together upon these follies, each with the same burning zeal. They observed the moments at which the dumb animals about their houses brought forth their young, and noted the position of the sky at those moments, by way of getting experience in the art. And he said that he had heard from his father that when his mother was pregnant with him, Firminus, a female slave belonging to his father's friend, happened to be pregnant at the same time. This her master could not be unaware of, since he took such minute care to know about the whelping of his very dogs. The friends had numbered the days and hours, and even the smallest parts of the hours, the one for his wife and the other for his servant, with the most careful observation, and it chanced that both women brought forth their child at the same instant. Thus they were compelled to cast the very same horoscope even to the exact minute for both children, the one for his son, the other for his slave. For when the women began to be in labor, each man let the other know what was happening in his own house, and they had messengers ready to send to each other as soon as either should know that the child had been born, and each of course would know instantly, since it was happening in his own household. And the messengers sent by each, so my friend said, met at a point equidistant from both houses, so that neither could observe any position of the stars or any moment of time different from the other. Yet Firminus, born to wealth in his parents' house, trod the pleasanter ways of life, grew in riches, and was raised to positions of honor, whereas the slave did not find the yoke of his condition relaxed, but served his masters. So Firminus, who knew him, told me. I heard all this, and I believed it, because of the man who told it. All my doubt was resolved and fell away. First I tried to win Firminus from his interest by telling him that if I had had to consult his stars and truly foretell his future, I should surely have had to see in his horoscope that his parents had been people of standing in their neighborhood, that his family was noble in his own city, that he was born free, that he was to have a sound education in the liberal arts. Whereas if the slave had consulted me upon the same constellations, for they were the very same, and asked me to foretell him the truth, then I ought to have seen in them that his family was low-born, his condition servile, and all sorts of other particulars very different and very far removed from the first child's. Thus, looking at the same constellations, I must utter different things if I were to tell the truth, and if I said the same things, I should be foretelling falsely. Thus I saw it as obvious that such things as happened to be said truly from the casting of horoscopes were true not by skill, but by chance, and such things as were false were not due to want of skill in the art, but merely that luck had fallen the other way. Having started upon this line of reasoning, I began to consider what I should answer if any one of those fools who got their living by astrology, and whom I was already longing to assail and overwhelm with ridicule, should simply reply that either Firminus had told me, or his father had told him, falsely. So I set myself to considering the case of those who are born twins, who usually emerge from the womb so close to each other that the small interval of time involved, 
however much influence they claim that it has in nature, cannot be estimated by any human observation so as to be set down in the tables which the astrologer has to inspect in order to pronounce the truth. It will not be the truth. For instance, anyone inspecting those tables would have had to foretell the same future for Esau and Jacob, but the same things did not happen to them. Therefore he would either have had to foretell falsely, or else if he foretold truly, then he would have had to see different things in the same horoscope. So again we see that any truth he spoke would have been by chance, not skill. For you, O Lord, the most just ruler of the universe, can so act by your secret influence upon both those who consult and those who are consulted, neither of them knowing what they do, that when a man consults he hears what it behooves him to hear, given the hidden merits of souls, from the abyss of your just judgment. Let no man say to you, What is this, or why is this? He must not say it, he must not say it, for he is a man. Chapter 7 Thus, O God, my aid, from those chains you had freed me. But I was still seeking what might be the source of evil, and I could see no answer. Yet with all the ebb and flow of my thought, you did not let me be carried away from the faith by which I believed that you were, and that your substance was unchangeable, and that you cared for men and would judge them, and that in Christ your Son our Lord and in the Holy Scriptures which the authority of your Catholic Church acknowledges, you had established the way of man's salvation unto that life which is to be after death. But with these truths held safe and inviolably rooted in my mind, I was still on fire with the question, Whence comes evil? What were the agonies, what the anguish of my heart in labor, O my God? But though I knew it not, you were listening, and when in silence I sought so vehemently, the voiceless contritions of my soul were strong cries to your mercy. You knew what I was suffering, and no man knew it, for how little it was that my tongue uttered of it in the ears even of my closest friends. Could they hear the tumult of my soul, for whose utterance no time or voice of mine would have been sufficient? Yet into your hearing came all that I cried forth in the anguish of my heart, and my desire was in your sight, and the light of my eyes shone not for me, for that light was within, I looking outward. Nor was that light in space, but I was intent upon things that are contained in space, and in them I found no place to rest. The things of space neither so received me that I could say, It is enough, it is well, nor yet allowed me to return where I might find sufficiency and well-being. They were not good enough for me, I was not good enough for you. You are my true joy, and I am subject to you, and you have made subject to me the things below me that you have created. This was the right order and the middle way of salvation for me, that I should remain in your image, and so in you should dominate my body. But when I rose against you in my pride, and ran upon my Lord with the thick neck of my shield, those lower things became greater than I, and pressed me under, so that I could neither loosen their grip, nor so much as breathe. Wherever I looked, they bore in upon me, massed thick, and when I tried to think, the images of corporeal things barred me from turning back towards the truth, as though they said, Where are you going, base and unclean? All these things had grown out of my wound, for you humble the proud like one wounded, and I was separated from you by my own swollenness, as though my cheeks had swelled out and closed up my eyes. Chapter 8 But you, O Lord, abide forever, nor are you angry with us forever, for you have pity upon our dust and ashes. It was pleasing in your sight to reshape what was deformed in me, and you kept stirring me with your secret goad, so that I should remain unquiet until you should become clear to the gaze of my soul. And from the secret hand of your healing my swollenness abated, and the troubled and darkened sight of my mind was daily made better by the stinging ointment of sorrow. Chapter 9 And first you willed to show me how you resist the proud and give grace to the humble, and with how great mercy you have shown men the way of humility, in that the word was made flesh and dwelt among men. Therefore you brought in my way by means of a certain man, an incredibly conceited man, some books of the Platonists, translated from Greek into Latin. 
In them I found, though not in the very words, yet the thing itself, and proved by all sorts of reasons, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was made nothing that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And I found in those same writings that the soul of man, though it gives testimony of the light, yet is not itself the light. But the word, God himself, is the true light, which enlightens every man that comes into this world, and that he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. But I did not read in those books that he came unto his own, and his own received him not, but to as many as received him he gave power to be made the sons of God, to them that believed in his name. Again I found in them that the word, God, was born not of flesh, nor of blood, nor of the will of man, nor of the will of the flesh, but of God. But I did not find that the word became flesh. I found it stated, differently and in a variety of ways, that the Son, being in the form of the Father, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because by nature he was God. But these books did not tell me that he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and in habit found as a man. Or that he humbled himself, becoming obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross, for which cause God also hath exalted him from the dead, and given him a name which is above all names, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those that are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that the Lord Jesus is in the glory of God the Father. Further I read there that your only begotten Son was before all times and beyond all times, and abides unchangeably, co-eternal with you, and that of his fullness souls receive, that they may be blessed, and that by participation in that wisdom which abides in them, they are renewed, that they may be wise. But I did not read that in due time he died for the ungodly, and that thou didst not spare thy only begotten Son, but delivered him up for us all. For thou hast hid these things from the wise, and hast revealed them to the little ones, that those who labor and are burdened should come to him, and he should refresh them, because he is meek and humble of heart. And the meek he directs in judgment, and the gentle he teaches his ways, beholding our lowness and our trouble, and forgiving all our sins. But those who wear the high boots of their sublimer doctrine do not hear him saying, Learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. And if they know God, they have not glorified him as God, or given thanks, but become vain in their thoughts, and their foolish heart is darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Again I read in these books that they had changed the glory of thy incorruption into idols and diverse images, into the likeness of the image of a corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed beasts, and of creeping things, in fact into that Egyptian food for which Esau had lost his birthright, since the people which was your firstborn worshipped the head of a four-footed beast instead of you, turning in their heart back towards Egypt, and bowing down their soul, your image, before the image of a calf that eats hay. I found these things there, and I did not feed upon them. For it pleased you, O Lord, to take away the reproach of inferiority from Jacob, so that the elder brother serve the younger, and you have called the Gentiles into your inheritance. From the Gentiles indeed I had come to you, and I fixed my mind upon the gold which you willed that your people should bring with them from Egypt, for it was yours wherever it was. And you had said to the Athenians by your apostle that in you we live and move and are, as certain of their own writers had said. And obviously it was from Athens that these books came. But I did not fix my mind upon the idols of the Egyptians which they served with the gold that was yours, changing the truth of God into a lie, and worshipping and serving a creature rather than the Creator. Chapter 10 Being admonished by all this to return to myself, I entered into my own depths with you as guide, and I was able to do it because you were my helper. I entered, and with the eye of my soul such as it was, I saw your unchangeable light shining over that same eye of my soul, over my mind. 
It was not the light of every day that the eye of flesh can see, nor some greater light of the same order, such as might be if the brightness of our daily light should be seen shining with a more intense brightness and filling all things with its greatness. Your light was not that, but other, altogether other, than all such lights. Nor was it above my mind as oil above the water it floats on, nor as the sky is above the earth. It was above because it made me, and I was below because made by it. He who knows the truth knows that light, and he that knows the light knows eternity. Charity knows it. O eternal truth and true love and beloved eternity, thou art my God, I sigh to thee by day and by night. When first I knew thee, thou didst lift me up, so that I might see that there was something to see, but that I was not yet the man to see it. And thou didst beat back the weakness of my gaze, blazing upon me too strongly, and I was shaken with love and with dread. And I knew that I was far from thee in the region of unlikeness, as if I heard thy voice from on high, I am the food of grown men, grow and you shall eat me, and you shall not change me into yourself as bodily food, but into me you shall be changed. And I learned that thou hast corrected man for iniquity, and thou didst make my soul shrivel up like a moth. And I said, Is truth then nothing at all, since it is not extended either through finite spaces or infinite? And thou didst cry to me from afar, I am who am. And I heard thee, as one hears in the heart, and there was from that moment no ground of doubt in me. I would more easily have doubted my own life than have doubted that truth is, which is clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. Chapter 11 Then I thought upon those other things that are less than you, and I saw that they neither absolutely are, nor yet totally are not. They are inasmuch as they are from you. They are not inasmuch as they are not what you are. For that truly is which abides unchangeably. But it is good for me to adhere to my God, for if I abide not in Him, I cannot abide in myself. But He, abiding in Himself, renews all things. And Thou art my God, for Thou hast no need of my goods. Chapter 12 And it became clear to me that corruptible things are good. If they were supremely good, they could not be corrupted, but also if they were not good at all, they could not be corrupted. If they were supremely good, they would be incorruptible. If they were in no way good, there would be nothing in them that might corrupt. For corruption damages, and unless it diminished goodness, it would not damage. Thus either corruption does no damage, which is impossible, or, and this is the certain proof of it, all things that are corrupted are deprived of some goodness. But if they were deprived of all goodness, they would be totally without being. For if they might still be, and yet could no longer be corrupted, they would be better than in their first state, because they would abide henceforth incorruptibly. What could be more monstrous than to say that things could be made better by losing all their goodness? If they were deprived of all goodness, they would be altogether nothing. Therefore, as long as they are, they are good. Thus whatsoever things are, are good, and that evil whose origin I sought is not a substance, because if it were a substance, it would be good. For either it would be an incorruptible substance, that is to say, the highest goodness, or it would be a corruptible substance, which would not be corruptible unless it were good. Thus I saw and clearly realized that you have made all things good, and that there are no substances not made by you. And because all the things you have made are not equal, they have a goodness over and above as a totality, because they are good individually, and they are very good altogether, for our God has made all things very good. Chapter 13 To you, then, evil utterly is not, and not only to you, but to your whole creation likewise evil is not, because there is nothing over and above your creation that could break in or derange the order that you imposed upon it. But in certain of its parts there are some things which we call evil because they do not harmonize with other things, yet these same things do harmonize with still others, and thus are good, and in themselves they are good. All these things which do not harmonize with one another do suit well with that lower part of creation which we call the earth, which has its cloudy and windy sky in some way apt to it. God forbid that I should say, I wish that these things were not, 
because even if I saw only them, though I should want better things, yet even for them alone I should praise you, for that you are to be praised, things of earth show, dragons and all deeps, fire, hail, snow, ice, and stormy winds which fulfill thy word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, serpents and feathered fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, young men and maidens, old men and young, praise thy name. And since from the heavens, O our God, all thy angels praise thee in the high places, and all thy hosts, sun and moon, all the stars and lights, the heavens of heavens, and the waters that are above the heavens, praise thy name, I no longer desired better, because I had thought upon them all, and with clear judgment I realized that, while certain higher things are better than lower things, yet all things together are better than the higher alone. Chapter 14 there is no sanity in those whom anything in creation displeases, any more than there was in me when I was displeased with many things that you had made. Because my soul did not dare to be displeased with my God, it would not allow that what displeased it was yours. Thus it strayed off into the error of holding two substances, and it found no rest but talked wildly. Turning from that error, it had made for itself a God occupying the infinite measures of all space, and had thought this God to be you, and had placed it in its heart, and thus had once again become the temple of its own idol, a temple abominable to you. But you caressed my head, though I knew it not, and closed my eyes, that they should not see vanity. And I ceased from myself a little, and found sleep from my madness. And from that sleep I awakened in you, and I saw you infinite in a different way, but that sight was not with the eyes of flesh. Chapter 15 And I looked upon other things, and I saw that they owed their being to you, and that all finite things are in you, but in a different manner being in you not as in a place, but because you are and hold all things in the hand of your truth, and all things are true inasmuch as they are. Nor is falsehood anything, save that something is thought to be which is not. And I observe that all things harmonize not only with their places, but also with their times, and that you who alone are eternal did not begin to work after innumerable spaces of time had gone by, since all the spaces of time, spaces past, spaces to come, could neither go nor come if you did not operate and abide. Chapter 16 my own experience had shown me that there was nothing extraordinary in the same bread being loathsome to a sick palate and agreeable to a healthy, and in light being painful to sore eyes, which is a joy to clear. Your justice displeases the wicked, but so do the viper and the smaller worms, yet these you have created good, and suited to the lower parts of your creation, to which lower parts indeed the wicked themselves are well suited, in so far as they are unlike you, though they become suited to the higher parts as they grow more like you. So that when I now asked what is iniquity, I realized that it was not a substance, but a swerving of the will, which is turned towards lower things and away from you, O God, who are the supreme substance, so that it casts away what is most inward to it, and swells greedily for outward things. Chapter 17 And I marveled to find that at last I loved you and not some phantom instead of you. Yet I did not stably enjoy my God, but was ravished to you by your beauty, yet soon was torn away from you again by my own weight, and fell again with torment to lower things. Carnal habit was that weight. Yet the memory of you remained with me, and I knew without doubt that it was you to whom I should cleave, though I was not yet such as could cleave to you. For the corruptible body is a load upon the soul, and the earthly habitation presses down the mind that muses upon many things. I was altogether certain that your invisible things are clearly seen from the creation of the world, being understood by the things that are made. So too are your everlasting power and your Godhead. I was now studying the ground of my admiration for the beauty of bodies, whether celestial or of earth, and on what authority I might rightly judge of things mutable and say, This ought to be so, that not so. Inquiring then what was the source of my judgment when I did so judge, I had discovered the immutable and true eternity of truth above my changing mind. 
Thus by stages I passed from bodies to the soul which uses the body for its perceiving, and from this to the soul's inner power, to which the body's senses present external things, as indeed the beasts are able. And from there I passed on to the reasoning power, to which is referred for judgment what is received from the body's senses. This too realized that it was mutable in me, and rose to its own understanding. It withdrew my thought from its habitual way, abstracting from the confused crowds of phantasms, that it might find what light suffused it, when with utter certainty it cried aloud that the immutable was to be preferred to the mutable, and how it had come to know the immutable itself. For if it had not come to some knowledge of the immutable, it could not have known it as certainly preferable to the mutable. Thus in the thrust of a trembling glance my mind arrived at that which is. Then indeed I saw clearly your invisible things which are understood by the things that are made, but I lacked the strength to hold my gaze fixed, and my weakness was beaten back again so that I returned to my old habits, bearing nothing with me but a memory of delight and a desire as for something of which I had caught the fragrance but which I had not yet the strength to eat. Chapter 18 so I set about finding a way to gain the strength that was necessary for enjoying you, and I could not find it until I embraced the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who was over all things, God blessed forever, who was calling unto me and saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and who brought into union with our nature that food which I lacked the strength to take. For the word was made flesh, that your wisdom, by which you created all things, might give suck to our soul's infancy. For I was not yet lowly enough to hold the lowly Jesus as my God, nor did I know what lesson his embracing of our weakness was to teach. For your word, the eternal truth, towering above the highest parts of your creation, lifts up to himself those that were cast down. He built for himself here below a lowly house of our clay, that by it he might bring down from themselves and bring up to himself those who were to be made subject, healing the swollenness of their pride and fostering their love, so that their self-confidence might grow no further but rather diminish, seeing the deity at their feet humbled by the assumption of our code of human nature, to the end that weary at last they might cast themselves down upon his humanity and rise again in its rising. Chapter 19 But I realized none of this at that time. I thought of Christ my Lord as of a man of marvelous wisdom, whom no other could possibly equal, and I saw his miraculous birth from a virgin, with the example it gave that temporal things are to be despised for the sake of immortality, as a mark of divine care for us, which surely merited for him complete authority as our master. But the mystery contained in the truth that the word was made flesh, I could not even faintly glimpse. From what had come down in writing about him, that he ate and drank, slept, walked and was glad, was sad, preached, I had gathered that his body did not cleave to your word, save through a human mind and soul. This anyone knows who grasped the immutability of your word, as I now grasped it in my own fashion and indeed held it unwaveringly. For at one moment to be moving the limbs by the will, at another keeping them still, now feeling some particular emotion, now not feeling it, now uttering wisdom in human speech, now silent. All these are properties of a mutable soul and a mutable mind. If Scripture told falsely of Christ on this matter, all of it would be involved in the peril of falsehood, and there would be no sure faith for mankind left in it. Taking then what was written there as truth, I saw Christ as complete man, not the body of a man only, or an animating soul without a rational mind, but altogether man. And I thought he was to be preferred to all others, not as the very person of truth, but because of the great excellence of his human nature and his more perfect participation in wisdom. Olypius, on the other hand, imagined that Catholics believed that in Christ God was clothed in flesh, meaning that there was the Godhead and a body in him, but no soul. He thought they held that he had not a human mind. And since it seemed quite clear to him that what had been handed down to us concerning Christ could not have been done save by a creature both vital and rational, he was slower in his movement towards the Christian faith itself. But once he realized that this was the error of the Apollinarian heretics, he liked the Catholic faith better and accepted it. 
But I admit that it was only some time later that I learned how, in the truth that the word was made flesh, Catholic doctrine is distinguished from the error of Photinus. In fact, the refutation of heretics serves to bring into clearer light what your church holds and what sound doctrine is, for there must be also heresies, that they who are approved may be made manifest among the weak. Chapter 20 Now that I had read the books of the Platonists, and had been set by them towards the search for a truth that is incorporeal, I came to see your invisible things which are understood by the things that are made. I was at a standstill, yet I felt what through the darkness of my mind I was not able actually to see. I was certain that you are, and that you are infinite, but not as being diffused through space, whether finite or infinite, that you truly are and are ever the same, not in any part or by any motion different or otherwise. And I knew that all other things are from you, from the simple fact that they are at all. Of these things I was utterly certain, yet I had not the strength to enjoy you. I talked away as if I knew a great deal, but if I had not sought the way to you in Christ our Savior, I would have come not to instruction but to destruction. For I had begun to wish to appear wise, and this indeed was the fullness of my punishment, and I did not weep for my state, but was badly puffed up with my knowledge. Where was that charity which builds us up upon the foundation of humility, which is Christ Jesus? Or when would those books have taught me that? Yet I think it was your will that I should come upon these books before I had made study of the Scriptures, that it might be impressed on my memory how they had affected me, so that when later I should have become responsive to you through your books, with my wounds healed by the care of your fingers, I might be able to discern the difference that there is between presumption and confession, between those who see what the goal is but do not see the way, and those who see the way which leads to that country of blessedness, which we are meant not only to know but to dwell in. If I had been first formed by your holy scriptures so that you had grown sweet to me through their familiar use, and had come later upon these books of the Platonists, they might have swept me away from the solid ground of piety. And even if I had remained firm in that disposition which for my health scripture had taught me, I might perhaps have thought that the same disposition could have been acquired from those books if a man studied them alone. Chapter 21 So now I seized greedily upon the adorable writing of your spirit, and especially upon the Apostle Paul. And I found that those difficulties in which it had once seemed to me that he contradicted himself, and that the text of his discourse did not agree with the testimonies of the law and the prophets, vanished away. In that pure eloquence I saw one face, and I learned to rejoice with trembling. I found that whatever truth I had read in the Platonists was said here with praise of your grace, that he who sees should not so glory as if he had not received, and received indeed not only what he sees, but even the power to see, for what has he that he has not received? And further, that he who sees is not only taught to see you who are always the same, but is also strengthened to take hold of you, and that he who cannot see you from afar off may yet walk on that way by which he may come and see and take hold. For though a man be delighted with the law of God according to the inward man, what shall he do about that other law in his members, fighting against the law of his mind, and captivating him in the law of sin that is in his members? For thou art just, O Lord, but we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we have done wickedly, and thy hand has grown heavy upon us, and we are justly delivered over to that first sinner, the ruler of death, because he has turned our will to the likeness of his will, whereby he stood not in thy truth. But what shall unhappy man do? Who shall deliver him from the body of this death, save the grace of God by Jesus Christ our Lord, whom thou hast begotten co-eternally with thee, and possessed in the beginning of thy ways, in whom the prince of this world found nothing worthy of death, and the handwriting was blotted out of the decree which was contrary to us? The writings of the Platonists contain nothing of all this. Their pages show nothing of the face of that love, the tears of confession, your sacrifice and afflicted spirit, the salvation of your people, the espoused city, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the chalice of our redemption. In them no one sings, Shall not my soul be submitted unto God? From him is my salvation, for he is my God, my salvation and my defense. I shall be no more moved. And we hear no voice calling, 
Come unto me, all you that labor. They scorn to learn from him, because he is meek and humble of heart. For thou hast hidden these things from the wise and prudent, and hast revealed them to the little ones. It is one thing to see the land of peace from a wooded mountaintop, yet not find the way to it, and struggle hopelessly far from the way, with hosts of those fugitive deserters from God, under their leader the lion and the dragon, besetting us about and ever lying in wait. And quite another to hold to the way that leads there, a way guarded by the care of our heavenly general, where there are no deserters from the army of heaven to practice their robberies, for indeed they avoid that way as a torment. Marvelously, these truths graved themselves in my heart when I read that latest of your apostles, and looked upon your works and trembled. <laughs>